Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Worship at Belhelvey. Uh, it's good to be with you again today. I'm sorry I haven't managed to be over and record in the church for the last wee while, but as I'm sure you'll appreciate it, it is absolutely Baltic over there. So it's uh, it's much more conducive to, to be at home for now until the warmer weather uh, comes in. But who knows where we'll be uh, in the next few weeks and months. Hopefully before too long, uh, we might even be back in the building. But until now, uh, this is the best we can do. So we're glad that you're here, uh, wherever you're joining us from, and we're going to begin our worship today in the words of a song that I'm sure many of you will know, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. Let's worship God together.
Let's come before God now in prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we gather in worship as your people, we're glad to have this time together, even if we can't be physically together in the same room. We're glad to have this time, uh, whatever the circumstances of our lives at the moment, because it's as we centre our minds and our spirits on you that we glimpse again the unity and the wholeness that we were made for and that we discover in the fellowship of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And so we stop and we pause and we still our hearts for a moment to realign our thinking to celebrate your goodness and to respond to your grace with gratitude and with joy. And we ask you through your spirit to continue the work of change that you've begun in us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful God. You remember that we are dust and you bear with us because you know that we also bear your image and are your children. Thank you that those whom you've brought into being and whom you've saved at such cost will never be cast off lightly. And the proof of that is the life of your son, Jesus Christ, born to reveal your love for us, standing alongside us and unashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. For your clearest word to us, the word incarnate that is Jesus Christ, we give you our heartfelt thanks. Father, we confess that we often don't live lives that are worthy of him. Our faith is weak because we deal lightly with you and give you only the leftovers of our time and resources. Our experience of you is often lukewarm because we live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Forgive us, Father. We know that we have sinned in word, thought and deed this past week in the things that we have done and in things that we have left undone. So for our sake and for your glory, forgive and forget what is past so we can move on freed from the sin that so easily entangles and more able to live well and to share your love with others. So hear us, because we ask all these things in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 3 and then verses 26 to 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our second reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel. It's John chapter 1, reading verses 1 through to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. Amen. So I always knew this was going to happen and it's part of the reason that I have held off preaching on John for so long. After spending a week in just the first uh, five verses of chapter one, I am needing to control, alt, delete my brain. There is just so many things going on in there and so many things that I would like to share with you. And the scholar in me gets excited about this, but the preacher says, hang on, Paul, you're not the BBC. Your brief isn't to inform, educate and entertain, though if you can do things in a sermon like that, that's not a bad thing. But your job in a sermon is to bring a word that brings life because it helps people know and respond to Jesus right where they are in this very moment. So I promise to try to get there by the end of the sermon. But for this first chapter, which is some of the deepest theology in the New Testament, I really owe it to you to do a bit of scene setting for everything that's going to come in John's Gospel later on. And the first thing I need to do is say a wee bit about verses 1 to 18, which are known as the prologue. So we're in the prologue of John uh, this Sunday. It's been a while since any of us managed to get out to the theatre, in real life at least, but if you've ever been to a musical or an opera, you will be familiar with the idea of an overture. It's a piece that's played right at the beginning that introduces all the main musical themes that are going to appear throughout the work. So when you hear them later on, there's a, there's a familiarity about them because the seed's already been planted in the overture. And in a way, that is exactly what the prologue of John is. It's an overture to the whole work. And as we read it over the next uh, few weeks, you will find all the themes in John's Gospel summarised there. And we will see this uh, as the weeks go on. But I want you to go back in your minds to last week and see if you can remember why it was that John was writing his Gospel at all. 
Why did he put these things down? Well, we looked at it last week. John said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is writing to show us who Jesus really is and to help us come to trust him for ourselves. And John chooses to start his gospel in a very different place to Matthew, Mark and Luke. Mark skips the nativity story and he jumps straight into the ministry of John the Baptist with Jesus getting baptised by verse 9 of chapter 1. Matthew and Luke start 30 years earlier than that with the stories of Jesus' birth. But John is in a different league altogether. John starts his gospel in eternity, in the very nature and being of God before the beginning of time. John believes you have to go that far back to really begin to understand the story of Christ. In Arche, he writes, in the beginning, in the beginning. And to the Jewish mind, that was a very deliberate and conscious echoing of the book of Genesis, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in even those two little words, John is telling us something right up front at the beginning of the gospel. What he's going to describe here is nothing less than a new creation story. And as that story unfolds, we come to understand that the Christ who is at the centre of it is the new Adam, putting right everything that had gone wrong in Eden. Sin and death and separation and the fear of God that makes us hide from him and keep him at arm's length. They are all going to be dealt with in the life death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, who is the word that John is speaking about. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, 2000 years after it was written, The force of that sentence is really lost on us. But we have to remember that John was a Jew, as were all the disciples. And Jewish people are brought up to be rigorously monotheistic. God was one, singular, end of story. Morning and evening, every Jew would have prayed the Shema, the foundational prayer of Judaism, which begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, one Lord. Here, John is seeing deeper into the mystery of God's being than anyone had ever seen before. The Word was with God, and yet the Word was God. What he's telling us is that somehow there's a plurality within the being of God. And this is going to be filled out later on when Jesus starts talking about the Spirit alongside the Son and the Father. As the church reflected on the work that God had been doing in them and through them, uh, in the power of Christ, they, they noticed a oneness and a threeness within God. God the Father was involved, 
the Son was involved, the Word, and the Spirit was involved. And in time, that understanding came to be formulated in what we know as the doctrine of the Trinity. But the seeds of that understanding are right there in the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and even in the early chapters in Genesis. We're told that in the beginning, God, Elohim, created. We're told that the Spirit of God was there, brooding over the waters, and we're told that a creative word from God was spoken, bringing things into being. Let there be light, God said, and there was light. So three are working together from the very beginning as one. One God, three persons. Here's another wee example of that I thought of now. I am thinking of a word just now. Can you hear it? Of course you can't hear it. You're not mind readers. Okay, right, I'm thinking of a word. Okay, I'm now going to make the shape of that word with my mouth. Okay, is that any clearer? Well, it might be, maybe not much. But what I'm going to do now is to put breath into the equation. Love. 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 So now there's no doubt. You know what I'm saying. The saying of a word involves our minds to think of it, the, the mouth and tongue and teeth that allow us to vocalise that word and the breath to make it audible. And we need all three elements working together to really get the message across. And in a way, it's the same with how God operates in the world. The Father has committed himself to creation uh, and in his love he desires to restore and redeem it. And so he sends out his word and his spirit to go out into creation and to do that for him on his behalf and in his power and in his love. Three in one working together for the same purpose and the same end, our restoration. This is the gospel. God wants to redeem his creation. But what is this redemption that he wants to draw us into? Well, Rona and I were touching on that last week over a, a coffee in the kitchen. She'd been listening to a podcast where the instructor had been saying that we have to learn to love ourselves. And she was advocating that we tell ourselves that we are good and, and lovable throughout the day. And that kind of thing's quite in vogue at the minute. And in a way I know exactly where the speaker's coming from. If you're down on yourself or if you have been made to feel down on yourself by other people, 
sometimes cruelly, then sometimes you need to remind yourself that you do matter, that you have a significance. And if we don't love ourselves in the sense of looking after ourselves, we're not going to be in a great place to love or to help other people. But telling yourself that you're lovable is a pretty poor substitute for knowing that you are genuinely loved. Loved not because of anything that you've achieved, but simply because you matter in the eyes of the beholder. And here's the thing. God is the beholder of all things and all people. We all came from him, as John reminds us. And we will return to him in the end. And despite what we may be, he looks on us with pure love, whether we are far away like the prodigal son or near like the prodigal's older brother, who we often forget was just as lost as his younger brother. We are loved. We just find that really hard to believe. Because the relationship with God that we had in the beginning has been fractured and distorted. Going back to the Genesis story, do you remember the warning that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden? He told them that if they ate of the fruit of the tree, they would die. Well, did they die? The Bible would be a much shorter book if they had done Biologically, they kept on living, there's no doubt about that in the story, but spiritually, darkness and doubt and separation, which are metaphors for death, entered the scene and their friendship with God was profoundly affected by that choice. The way they viewed him radically changed. In Stephen King's Dark Tower saga, his main character, the gunslinger, has a wonderful phrase that he uses when people step out of line or do things that are beneath their honour. The gunslinger glowers at them and he says, you've forgotten the face of your father. Since Eden humankind has forgotten the face of its father. We mistake it as the face of wrath and judgment when in reality it's the face of deep abiding love mixed with pain and sorrow for the things that have come between us. If you doubt that, all you have to do is try picturing the face of the prodigal son's father. In Western society, in today's world, largely we've forgotten the face of our father. We've turned our backs on him and we've ended up as spiritual orphans, still with spiritual needs, but nowhere to turn with them. And in the absence of God's voice telling us that we are his beloved, we have to neurotically keep telling ourselves that we're lovable in the hope that it might be true rather than knowing deep in our bones that that is the truth because of our connection to Christ and what that shows us about God's love for us. 
the good news that John is bringing us is that the word become flesh is here to remind us of who our father truly is and to draw us back to him. Bringing life where we have chosen death, bringing light where we have fallen into dark thinking and dark ways. In chapter 14 of John, in the long conversation that goes on for several chapters after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus replies, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And later in chapter 1, John says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Some tellings of the Gospel pit Jesus against God the Father as though all the Father has for humankind is wrath and anger and Jesus is the good loving guy who gets in the way and saves us from God. That is not John's telling of the story. In John, when we see Jesus, we see the character and the nature of the Father and that includes indeed it finds its ultimate expression on the cross where God conquers Satan, sin and death and judges sin by forgiving it. The cross shows us the lengths that God is prepared to go to to bring us back into fellowship with himself. As Paul says wonderfully, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the good news John is bringing us is that the Father, the Word and the Spirit are working seamlessly to bring us into the light and life of true fellowship with them. The life that we were always born to know. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Alan Jeffrey is going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you today in prayer, offering our praise and worship to you and stand in awe before you. Lord, in the Gospel of Matthew, we are told that no one knows the Father, God, except the Son, Jesus. And so we look to Jesus to see something of you. Who are you? how you intended us to live, how we can cope with life's ups and downs, not alone, but with your example and guidance. Lord, show us Jesus so that we may see you. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Hence, if we get to know Jesus, 
we get to know you. The Bible tells us through many stories of how Jesus faced the problems of down-to-earth life, life as we know it on earth, the nitty-gritty pain of life, confrontation, fear, hate, coldness, lack of empathy. Jesus replied with love, compassion, forgiveness, care and support. Lord, show us Jesus so that we may see you. And join me read the words, For the Father loves the Son. We hear of the miracles performed by Jesus through the power you gave him. We see the true extent of the love you have for us. You were watching over your children long before Jesus arrived here. The parting of the Red Sea, clean water from a rock, manna from heaven, Jonah and the whale, Noah's ark, the list is endless. We know that you add to that list on a daily basis by your interventions in each of our lives. Lord, show us Jesus so that we may see you. When Jesus was so cruelly nailed to the cross through all his pain, he showed us that he is pure love. As he said his final words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is our sin that put him there with each tap of the hammer, yet we still have received forgiveness from our Father and his Son. Lord, thank you for showing us the love of the Father. In today's world, we seem to be snowed under with all sorts of problems. The fear and uncertainty associated with the coronavirus pandemic. The patience to continue living life in such a restricted way where each day is much the same as the previous one and one week drifts into another. The frustration of unemployment and reduced income leading to troubled minds, sleepless nights and the threat of mental illness. Those who have lost lifelong partners, family members, friends and neighbours who have been denied the right to show their respects in the normal way. We give thanks for the courage of frontline staff to tend the sick, some even sacrificing their own lives to that effect. We give thanks for checkout assistants and shelf stackers in local shops and supermarkets who keep us supplied with essentials. Lord, there are still disasters, wars, famines taking place throughout this world of yours. Bring those involved love and comfort. We give thanks for the explosion of love, support and kindness throughout the world from ordinary people. A hundred-year-old man who walked in his back garden to raise money for the NHS. A young boy with severe mobility problems who struggled to walk tens of miles to raise funds. The myriad other folks who did their own challenge to help fight this dreaded virus. They were all part of an army of heroes. Lord, be with all those who hurt just now. Be with those who want to support them. Help us to see that tomorrow will be a better day. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is How Can I Keep From Singing?
and now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.